0: This is Corinne. And this is Ayani. And you're listening to Sex
1: Love Literature, a pop culture podcast, YASA edition. At the last Young Adult Studies Association, aka YASA conference, we answered the very pressing question on the mind of every Lore Olympus reader. Why is Hades so hot? Since then,
0: the internationally renowned webtoon Lore Olympus has only gained in popularity. Now, with over 200 episodes, 6 million subscribers, a print edition, a Hugo nomination, and an Eisner win. This time around, we broaden our focus by putting Lore Olympus
1: in context. In our podcast-style presentation, we discuss how this adaptation of the Hades and Persephone myth blurs the boundaries of young adult literature through the following. First, audience. Audience i.e. who's reading Webtoon, who's reading Lore Olympus, and how these groups overlap with, and diverge from, traditional conceptions of YA audiences.
0: Second, thematically.
1: How Lore Olympus
0: engages with themes that blur the line between childhood and adulthood, like sexuality, sexual assault, and identity formation.
1: Finally, coming of age. When Lore Olympus started, Persephone was 19. Now, thanks to a handy dandy time skip, she's 29. Is this still a YA text?
0: Through our discussion, we explore how Laura Olympus works and how it informs the broader field of young adult studies.
1: If you also love Laura Olympus, or just have strong feelings about YA literature in general, let us know on Twitter and Instagram at sexlovelit.
0: And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite podcast platforms.
1: And listen till the end of our episode for some information on our first ever SLL live event. Exciting! All right,
0: let's get started.
1: Hello, hello to our listeners, both folks who just listen to SLL on the regular, and also to Yasa participants and listeners. We are excited to be doing a special edition of Sex Love Literature. I guess this is another yassa edition this is the second time oh no is this the second time we're doing a yassa edition
0: this is the second yassa edition but we did a conference edition with a tamora pierce episode featuring leah phillips the president of yassa
1: oh so this is kind of like the third yassa special edition in a way it's second but the tamora pierce one was like 1.5 oh okay so 2.5
0: percent. yes okay it's like the Lion King one and a half.
1: <laughs> if that doesn't give you a sense of how this conversation is going to go, then like, you know, welcome. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, <clears throat> before we dive too much into our insanity, but then also to the conversation that we're getting ready to have about the webtoon Lore Olympus, we figured for those of you who have not listened to SLO before, we'll just give a quick... Introduction to who we are. So, Corinne, who are you? Why are you here?
0: (laughs) Hi, I'm Corinne. Uh, I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Florida in the English Department, specializing in children's and young adult literature, and I study gender and sexuality, consent, and young adult fantasy.
1: Who are you, Ayani? Oh, that's very exciting. Hi, I'm Ayani. I'm a very recent graduate of the University of Florida English Department. Um, I study comics and animation. I'm really interested in conversations about monstrosity and desire. And Lore Olympus kind of is a sweet spot for the two of us, thinking about children's literature, thinking about monstrosity, thinking about comics, Uh, also thinking about animation technically, because there's going to be a Lore Olympus animated
0: Yeah. Soon,
1: hopefully. Lore Olympus
0: has become a very, very multimodal
1: text. Oh, yes, which I also love. Part of the reason we do podcasts is the deep love of multimodal texts. Uh, And we are here today to talk to you about this webtoon that we just mentioned multiple times, Lore Olympus. Our presentation for YASA last year was also on Lore Olympus, so this is kind of a continuation on that conversation which we'll also link in the show notes and for those of you that are regular listeners I believe we're releasing it as an episode as a special episode (laughs) yeah as a special episode before this one goes live but for some context to steal Corinne's line we thought it would be helpful to cue folks in on what webtoon is because we've mentioned it a few times, and what Lore Olympus is, what all the hoopla is about this comic that we cannot stop talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Corinne actually recently had a blog post published with, was it CHLA? It was on the CHLA International Committee's blog. We'll also put that in the show notes, because we always have to (laughs) big up the work that we do. So, jumping right into it to tell you all a little bit about Webtoon. Webtoon is an online comic platform. Mostly, I think a lot of people read it on their cell phones. It's kind of a mobile app. And what sets Webtoon apart from a lot of other web comic platforms or just web comics in general is the fact that it utilizes a scrolling mechanic that causes you to read comics from top to bottom rather than kind of across a eight by 11 page, let's say, Mm -hmm. Um, everything is kind of made for reading on mobile devices. So you would scroll from the top of the top of the comic to the bottom uh, in order to read the story more often than not, they're broken up into episodes. um, So you're not necessarily getting a full story every episode, but you're kind of getting bites of an overall narrative some are slice of life some are functioning differently of course because there's a variety of genres of comic on webtoon but a lot of times you're getting kind of these small episodes that keep you uh (laughs) keep you invested keeping you um wanting to read more because once you scroll to the bottom of the episode it prompts you to keep scrolling to get to the next one
0: yeah something it makes me think about especially with like the weekly drops Mm -hmm. Setup is almost a Victorian serials oh, I because you have like a continuing story that changes and particularly changes as an author like gets better. So like Laura Olympus mm-hmm. has been running since 2018. So obviously Rachel Smythe, the author and illustrator, has developed and evolved as an author and as an artist since mm-hmm. it began running. But tell let's talk a little bit more about Webtoon before yeah, we get yeah, into yeah. Lore Olympus.
1: No, no, no problem at all. So two quick things I want to mention and then we have some notes about how big of a company Webtoon is now. <laughs> One thing I do want to know as someone who has been reading Web comics for a very long time is that a webtoon and a webcomic are not synonymous, right? Webtoon mm-hmm. is a platform on which you can read webtoons, which are structured in a particular way. Um, and it's not that online comics haven't played with things like infinite canvas or scrolling mechanics beforehand. Webtoon has just kind of built a brand around this kind of comic creation and production um, and is now... In a lot of ways, it seems like taking over <laughs> kind of what people think of as what you how you read comics online. Mm-hmm. So, uh, according to the company, Webtoon now draws over seventy two million monthly active users, uh, fourteen million in the U.S., so including Corinne and I, um, <laughs> and are posting revenues of over a hundred million U.S. dollars a month, which is huge. Um, one of the things that's worth noting is that. Big US comics publishers are starting to put comics on Webtoon. So there's an Archie Comics Webtoon that's running that I read called Big Ethel Energy. There are a few DC Comics Webtoons that are currently active. Um, so it's kind of making waves in the comic industry uh, beyond just, I don't want to minimize web comics, but beyond the realm of web comics as well. Apparently, currently, the majority of revenue transactions come from Korea and Japan, with the U.S. coming in third. But the company sees the American market overtaking Asia in the next three to five years based on their current growth rate, which is really interesting, (laughs) not to like pat ourselves on the back research wise. But I think that's kind of a fascinating thing to think about, um, especially Mm -hmm. as we talk a little bit about readership and who is engaging with Webtoons. So uh, let's see, is there anything else we want to mention about Webtoon as a platform specifically? I mean, it's originally a South Korean app, uh, Naver Webtoon, I think mm-hmm. was kind of the name there. Um, yeah, I think that kind of gives a gist of what Webtoon is. Not. And one quick aside, not all, all, all of the comics are scrolling top to bottom. I think the only one that I know that does something different, but I have not read all of the Webtoons is Yumi Cells, which we'll talk about just really quickly, and then another one called Daily Joe, Daily Jojo, I think, which you actually scroll left to right.
0: But So uh, moving then into ways that Webtoon helps us or challenges the ways in which we think about what young adult literature entails. Uh, as far as I can tell, different Webtoons are not divided into like young adult versus mm-hmm. adult content on mm-hmm. the app, but it hosts a number of comics, some of which feel very young adult, and some of which are certainly adult in content. <laughs> so, so, for example, some young adult webtoons that Annie and I both like are Kiss Bet, which is like a high school romance rom com, group of friends, slice of life situation, uh, having wife- crushes on each other. Oh, it's it's so cute. Uh, <laughs> two that I read are Ghost. Ghost Wife and Half Ghost, which are by the same author and are like horror rom-com, but one is set in a high school <laughs> and one is set in a college. So it's sort of that young adult, new adult, but speculative fiction sort of feel.
1: And then uh, and then another one that I started reading is called Brass and Sass, which is another kind of high school story that centers around a music class in which there's a, a young girl, I'm forgetting her name, um, but she falls into playing a musical instrument, and it's terrible, but it's like, damn (laughs) it, I'm going to get good at this. And of course, there's romance involved and cuties and all that kind of stuff. So very much that kind of high school rom-com feel. Mm-hmm.
0: But webtoon definitely also has webtoons that are not YA at all. <laughs> so uh, some of these include Yumi's Cells, which I've oh, only read some of on the webtoon, but so is also good. but is also being adapted into a absolutely phenomenal so Korean good. drama. But Yumi is in her early 30s, mm-hmm. very much an adult. No hint of YA there. Uh, Midnight Poppyland is another one that Aani and I both
1: like. It so is. Good. Very very spicy. What what is Midnight Poppyland about, Ayani? Um, Midnight Poppyland is about a young woman named Poppy uh, who gets wound up with the mob in her city, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also a very very hot mobster named Torah, and they fall in love and all of that entails. <laughs>
0: there there is a uh, perhaps mature levels of both violence and romance. A oh, uh, yes, very steamy cool. romance going mm-hmm, on in mm-hmm, that comic. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, Torah is often not fully clothed. Mm. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and another one that feels squarely outside of YA, though I do think we should nod to what we mean when we say YA kind of a mm-hmm. thing, uh, is Let's Play, which is another huge webtoon on the platform – the main characters are all in their 20s, some earlier 20s, some later 20s, but there's a lot of grown-up sex happening, a lot of conversations about what it means to be in relationships, what it means to be an adult, what it means to, you know, define the relationships that we're having, and it's geared more towards an adult audience. Yeah, it's really good, though. It's fun, it's funny, and I, I will say, these aren't, like, as someone who who studies pornography. these are not like explicit texts per se, mm-hmm. um, but they are geared more towards adult readers. It feels like mm-hmm.
0: so there are. As we mentioned, a number of ways of thinking about what makes something a YA text, and we'll get into more about like the age of the characters and thematically mm-hmm, what makes mm-hmm. something feel YA. But one way that young adult literature can be defined is by the age of the audience, as is classically argued about children's literature. Children's literature is defined is one of the only kinds of literature defined by its audience, mm-hmm. rather than always by the text itself. So young adult literature often falls into that same category. So then thinking about who's reading Webtoon, who's reading Lore Olympus, and how they overlap with and diverge from traditional conceptions of YA then, uh, Gen Z and younger millennials make up 75% of Webtoon users worldwide, and 70% of the users in the US are under the age of 24. 58% of Webtoon users are female. And these demographics differ significantly from the audience for printed periodical comics in the U.S. Uh, So this is really interesting in how we think about, Mm -hmm. again, Mm -hmm. who is reading YA and particularly who is reading fantasy YA, which is Mm -hmm. traditionally Mm -hmm. a genre written by and for women. So Webtoon is definitely falling in that category, even as it is not limited by the traditional marketing categories Mm, mm, that often mm -hmm. define what is YA that comes from like a
1: publisher. Right, right. Yeah, that is an excellent point and very interesting to think about. I kind of laugh when I think about the demographics because we are definitely not (laughs) under the age of 24, (laughs) but um, I know a lot of the people that I talk to about Webtoon uh, are over that demographic. So it's just really interesting to think about.
0: Well, and also thinking about, I think, and maybe we'll come back to this a little bit, but it's also thinking about the line, the dotted line between young adult mm. and new adult mm-hmm, literature, mm-hmm, which, you know, mm-hmm. some people argue exists and some people maybe argue is a failed experiment. But Ooh. it's that fa- it's that sort of phase where you're not a teenager, like you're not living mm-hmm, at home with your mm-hmm. parents, but you're not necessarily a full adult yet. So like college age people a lot of the time.
1: Mm. I mean, I still technically lived at home with my parents when I was college-aged. <laughs> I mean, I guess not when I was on campus, but that's neither here nor there. So Corinne and I have been throwing around a title, Laura Olympus. I'm confident that some of you that are listening are very familiar with Laura Olympus. You probably clicked on this episode because it had Laura Olympus in the title. But for those of you that are not familiar, we wanted to give a very quick kind of synopsis. Synopsis,
0: maybe? rundown, description.
1: Yeah, all those words crash uh, of course. what <laughs> crash course. Yeah, of what Laura Olympus is. So Laura Olympus is a adaptation of the Hades and Persephone myth. Um, one of the taglines that is often attached to the comic is "Witness what the gods do." Dot 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 after dark. So it's kind of playing on these. Uh, The story of the pantheon of the Greek gods, um, those kind of characters are frequently appearing, but the focus is on the romance, and I use romance very specifically, of Hades and Persephone. So something that I'd like to note about the comic is while the mortal realm is kind of in ancient times, the... A large portion of the action of the comic takes place on Olympus and in the underworld. And both of those are kind of, I guess, are modern contemporaries, right? They're using technology that we all recognize. They're on cell Mm -hmm. phones. They're driving cars. They live in condos and penthouses, right? They take the dog to the dog groomer. So it's very much uh, a modern story, even though it's pulling on this kind of ancient myth. That's the fun of the retelling, I suppose. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: One of the other fun things about Lore Olympus is that it has a huge cast. Any number huge. of Greek gods might show up. But our two mains, as is perhaps obvious, are Persephone <laughs> and Hades. So while we may bring up other characters, we'll we'll introduce them as they come up. Mm-hmm, but to give mm-hmm. you an introduction to who pa- Hades and Persephone's are in this version of the comic, uh, Hades uh, is, very, <laughs> is very hot as a- – we established in our presentation last time. If you would like to know more about specifically why Hades is so hot, which was a very important research question, so for important, us. so important. Uh, you can listen to that. But he's about two thousand years old. He's a king of the underworld. He's blue. All mm. of the characters are drawn in different colors. Uh, so, but he's like very. He's very damaged. He has a sort of dark prince appeal, but he's also like a very good
1: person he's like a yep. good guy <laughs> he's sweet and kind you know he doesn't like take advantage of people he's just mm-hmm. he's just had a rough past he was swallowed by his dad. You know, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, any anyone would have trouble with that. Uh,
0: but Persephone is really why we're here, thinking about yes. Lore Olympus's YA. Because when Lore Olympus starts, Persephone is 19. She's very, very sweet, very inexperienced. She has just left home for the first time. Her mother, Demeter, has been keeping her sort of locked down in the mortal mm-hmm. realm, so mm-hmm. keeping her fully blocked off from meeting other gods, from having... Uh, adult experiences Mm, Uh, so mm -hmm. as Laura Olympus begins she is going to Olympus for the first time she's starting college she's Mm -hmm. starting her first internship Mm -hmm. she is figuring out who she is as a person and as a woman Mm -hmm. and she is a lot of the reason that we get a lot of the YA vibes from this text at least as it begins so thinking then further about Persephone and the text as a whole, one of the things we want to talk about in our discussion today is how laura Olympus engages with the themes that blur that line between childhood and adulthood, uh, as many y- YA texts do, uh, as Uh, Roberta Roberta Sillinger-Trice has argued one of the sort of defining features of adolescent literature and YA literature literature is when characters have the sort of boundary-crossing behavior Mm. of that line between childhood and adulthood. So what are some of those things for you, Ayani?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the big ones for me, and you mentioned this, but uh, Persephone is going to college, right? Uh, This is the first time that she's not under her mother's roof. Um, she's staying with Artemis, uh, who is purple and who is, mm, she's strong. I think, how do I want to put this? She's not straight laced, but she's kind of straight laced. Like she's, Mm -hmm. she would go to Pat for Persephone. She's the friend that like, is like, okay, you had too much to drink. It's time to go. And then stares at, you know, people who might be trying to take advantage of you and things like that. She's, she's the mom friend. Is that fair to say? But the mom friend that'll like beat you up. She is, but she also
0: – so something that is really interesting about this text is that all of these characters all are immortal. They've been around yeah. for hundreds or thousands of years. But Artemis, to me, feels very much like Persephone's contemporary. Yeah,
1: like a peer. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. maybe
0: like an older sister, but certainly not yeah. like someone who's like the adult in the
1: room when Persephone's yes. there. Yes. They, they I feel agree. the same age to me. I agree. Yeah, I think older sister is definitely the way to go. Um, but older sister is not mom. Right. So yeah. this is the first time that Persephone is really like extending her own tendrils into the world, meeting people at school and all of that kind of stuff. So that's that's one of the big ones for me, is that she's not being overshadowed by the fact that her mom is like watching her every move, mm-hmm. even if there are people that she has watching her back.
0: Yeah, there, there's a big difference between having someone fully look after you and having someone
1: have your back. I think that's an mm-hmm. important distinction mm-hmm. to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's one for you?
0: I think one of the ones that is really interesting to me is the first love thing going uh, on. Uh uh-huh, Part- uh-huh. Because this is speak f- on it. Because <laughs> this is first and foremost a romance comic. Like mm-hmm. this is this is a love story. And but the way that it's telling this love story, like this is Persephone's not her first flirtation, but her first her first love, her first serious relationship with right. Hades. And she is dealing with a lot of these feelings of Romance and desire and attraction for the yep. first time. Mm-hmm. So thinking about mm-hmm. her sexuality
1: in a way that she hasn't necessarily before. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like her sexuality coming into its own, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Because one thing – oh, something we forgot to mention that I'm going to throw in here. We are going to be talking about Laura Olympus through the end of the second season. mm Obviously, spoiler warnings, right? But we're not going to be really addressing things that happen after the end of season two, even though the story has gone beyond that point um, by the time of this recording, but also by the time that the episode goes live. So... I just wanted to put that out there. Um, but one thing that we do learn is that before Persephone came to Olympus, she did have a little bit of a flingy fling with Ares, right? Where they like <laughs> made out in the water or something, which like I get, totally valid. Um, but, you know, this is the first time that she's, it was, I think if I remember correctly and tell me if I'm wrong, But that was kind of a little bit of more of Ares' idea. And this is the first time that she's really kind of like, Oh, this is something that I want. want.
0: Yeah. What, so with Aries, I was just rereading that episode in preparation for recording. And the thing with Aries to Persephone felt more like I don't get to meet a lot of other gods. And this man would like to make out with me. And I would like to make out with someone to see what that's like, probably, which mm-hmm, is like a very mm-hmm, YA mm-hmm. kind of move.
1: <laughs> and also, we'll say Aries. Feels a little older than, like, Persephone and Artemis. He is yellow. He is handsome. He's got curly hair. And magnificent uh, gray sweatpants. Oh, magnificent gray sweatpants. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but, 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 um well, we really can't not be thirsty while doing an episode. <laughs> like, our whole last presentation was why Hades is hot, and now we're just like, gray sweatpants. <laughs> um But... <laughs> Well, we'll talk a little bit more about age in a second, but like, mm-hmm. even though he's also a god that's been around for a long time, it doesn't feel like he's in his 50s or 60s making out with a 19-year-old. So, mm-hmm. Well, he feels younger than Hades. That is true. He does feel younger than Hades. But you were making a point when I started describing Ares in his gray sweatpants. <laughs> oh, I mean,
0: just, <laughs> uh, just that sort of first love, first flirtation, first everything kind of feeling with... What's yeah. going on with Persephone?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna jump down our outline a little bit because this is something that I think stood out to me on my reread. But as Karen mentioned, the gods are immortal, right? So at a certain point, they're they don't age anymore, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Their their bodies stop maturing. I think is the way it for, is phrased.
1: Yeah, or they, so, their bodies stop aging. Right. So when they're little, they kind of look like little, you know, little kids with their little big kid heads and their little stubby arms and stuff but a lot of them look like they're in their 20s 30s because that's mm-hmm. when they stop maturing so at a point Hera queen of gods bad bitch you know um, possibly my favorite character she's also yellow that's her color there <laughs> like Aries her son making a face i could be wrong about that notes that it seems like persephone is going to stop maturing at 19 and be quote-unquote 19 forever Mm -hmm. so there is this kind of interesting push and pull between kind of and this is another reason why we're talking about this between kind of being stuck in a youthful space forever but also kind of the idea of forever right Mm because no one can really be 19 forever even if you look that way right Mm -hmm. Um, and Persephone has some things with the concept of forever that she needs to kind of wrestle with at least throughout the first what season and a half Mm of Lore Olympus so and cut me off here if there's something that you want to say or jump in on but Persephone as part of I guess her mother agreeing to send her to school in Olympus uh gets a scholarship with the eternal or with the goddesses of eternal maidenhood. Yeah. So that's Hestia, that's Athena, that's Artemis, um who are all lovely ladies, <laughs> right? But it is, you know, the the goddesses who are eternally virgins, right? Mm-hmm. And a, that kind of brings up the concept in the conversation of virginity, right? But it's also this kind of concept of making commitments at the age of 19 that are going to, quote unquote, be your forever for the end mm-hmm. of time. So if we're thinking about that idea of like crossing that boundary, you know, um, not that there aren't decisions that you make as a kid that stay with you, right? But there is something about that like finality of decision, but also- mm-hmm questioning if these are the decisions that you want to make that kind of well, have a ya feel and for me. for this in particular it's a question
0: of persephone making a choice about her identity as mm, a goddess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that will become that won't be malleable anymore at a certain point point. and mm-hmm. also to be clear being a member of the goddesses of eternal maidenhood isn't her idea it's an identity right. that her mother wants to put onto her and wants yes. her to become a part of this isn't mm-hmm. A choice that Persephone necessarily wanted to make,
1: mm-hmm, 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 which I think is very important, uh, and creates some of that tension. Right? She said yes in order to get out of the house, but now that she is out of the house, does she want to keep saying yes to this thing? Yeah. There's there's a, a sort of
0: repeated refrain of like for all eternity mm-hmm, when Persephone mm-hmm. is faced with the decision of if she really wants to make that kind of commitment for
1: all eternity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there is something also i I feel like we're breezing through these really quickly so like let me know if we need to slow down a bit but there's also something that happens to persephone that makes her potential commitment to the goddesses of eternal maternhood um a little bit more complex and complicated yeah so we've been talking around
0: it a little bit but I will go ahead and say just content warning we're going to talk very briefly here about sexual assault Uh, and this is actually the reason that I talk about Laura Olympus Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. my research is that uh, Persephone is sexually assaulted by Apollo fairly early on in the webtoon and the sort Mm of ramifications and consequences and fallout and also just like emotional stuff that Persephone has to deal with with that continue throughout the whole webtoon and i'm interested mm-hmm. to see where that goes with season three but the oh, ways for that, sure yeah but the ways that smythe is dealing with sexual assault i think are also in conversation in interesting ways with texts like speak and other mm-hmm. sort of ya texts that we think of as foundational and how we think about rape rape cul- and rape and rape culture in
1: young mm-hmm. adult literature mm-hmm mm-hmm So not to put you on the spot here, right, but (laughs) well, you do talk about this in reference to or in connection with some other texts in your dissertation. So Mm -hmm. do you want to briefly just like point to some of the other texts that you feel like are in conversation with Laura Olympus and thinking about how Smythe handles sexual assault here? Yeah, so in my
0: dissertation, I'm particularly looking at the way that consent works in young adult fantasy. So my conversations are limited more to speculative fiction rather than realism. But in so Lore Olympus is in my chapter on individual experiences of sexual assault. Mm, so mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. see it as in conversation with Rachel Hartman's Test of the Road, as ended with uh, Juliet Marillier's Daughter of the Forest. Uh, it's also in conversation with other texts that think about rape culture more broadly, mm, particularly mm-hmm. through the world building of speculative fiction. So, some of those would include, like, Tamora Pierce's Will, Will of the Empress, uh, Test of the Road Again. And while it's not strictly speaking a YA text, and Kate Jemison's The Awakened Kingdom, which is the novella that comes after her, what's it called? Oh that's the novella that comes after the Inheritance trilogy but part of the reason in my dissertation and perhaps why Laura Olympus is interesting is that sexual assault is often especially historically and by historically I mean just 20 years ago considered something Mm. that is too adult or too mature for a young audience even though it's something that happens Mm -hmm. and something that teenagers Mm -hmm. experience or know someone who is is experienced has experienced so even if something particularly when it's fantasy might have all the other markers of a young adult text if something so horrific as sexual assault happens to them it might then have been classified as an
1: adult text
0: Mm. that's interesting i didn't know that Yes, it, so that it's one of those things that happens sometimes in books that becomes, oh, I, I don't like calling it a boundary-crossing behavior. But no, it, that, yeah, no. <laughs> but that is something actually that I think Roxanne Hard talks about a little bit in uh, her chapter from Beyond the Blockbusters, how being sexually assaulted can often result in the ideological loss of a young woman's mm. quote-unquote innocence that then makes her – not innocent anymore, and therefore guilty, and therefore not worthy of protection. And I think a number of authors, but I think Rachel Smythe in particular, is pushing back on that societal Mm -hmm. conception of what survivors of sexual assault like deserve.
1: Yeah. I also think innocence is a very interesting choice of words there, because one of the things that's interesting about Persephone is while in some ways she's sheltered and naive, one of the cruxes of this, I guess it is the second season, is that in the mortal realm, uh, Mm -hmm. before the story began, she commits this act of wrath, um, in which some of the nymphs, nymphs? Flower nymphs. Flower nymphs, that were her best friends from childhood, uh, were killed by some mortals because they ripped up rose bushes that they shouldn't have been anywhere near, uh, and then her her friends kind of disintegrated in front of her eyes, and that led her to an act of wrath. Um, that Demeter covers up with the aid of some other gods, but that gets found out, and <laughs> Persephone, in another kind of boundary crossing, <laughs> has baby's first murder trial. <laughs> <right now. laughs> baby's first act of wrath
0: also interestingly the trial is not so much for committing the act of wrath but for not having like a license to commit the right for not for
1: not reporting it (laughs) it it was not a sanctioned murder of mortals (laughs) (laughs) which is terrible but also kind of hilarious (laughs) so though the her assault, which I think we also talk a bit about in the other presentation, if mm-hmm. folks are, are curious about that, happens early in the text. I think it's in, like, episode 25 or something like that, though you might know better than me. I think it's episode 20. Yeah. So so very early, because now we're in the 200s, I think. Yeah. Um Persephone is never set up as, like I, – I don't think innocent is a word that I would have attached to her. She doesn't necess- – she's not – World weary, right? She doesn't really, she hasn't had a lot of interaction with others. But so
0: some, something that I think is interesting, and we talk about this more in our other episode, but is the conceptions of innocence that the audience puts on Persephone like yes. in the comics yes. or in, in the mm-hmm. comments. So every episode is open to reader comments, and there's sort of a community of <laughs> commenters going on on every mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. as it mm-hmm. drops. And it is very, uh, I don't know, traditional, accepted to refer to Persephone as like a sweet little cinnamon roll. Cinnamon roll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and also like it is very – it is also in the text that her name was Cora, and now it's – Oh, is it Korra per- or Kore? Cor- I have no idea. So her Who's- name was Kore. Kore? <laughs> I don't know. It's K-O-R-E. I don't know. <laughs> but her her name was Kore, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Which means maiden, but then after she commits this act of wrath, her name becomes Persephone, which then means bringer of death.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So this is another sort of boundary crossing moment for her in which her identity shifts because Mm -hmm. she has done this thing that makes her no
1: longer quite so innocent. Right, that makes her a little bit terrible. And it's interesting. We keep saying boundary crossing. And as someone who studies monsters, I can't not say this, but like the boundary is often the thing that creates monsters. So I think it's super interesting. Mm. Yeah. It's super interesting when we're talking about crossing boundaries because a lot of a lot of the conversation about monsters and monstrosity is that monsters show you what boundaries not to cross, right? Mm-hmm. But it sounds like in a sense that growing up is all about crossing boundaries and finding out which ones you want to step over. Maybe what kind of monster you want to become. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know that was a, kind of a spicy take. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. But because we do not want to necessarily have this be an hour and a half long episode, <laughs> as we are wont to do, I'm going to scoot us along here just a little bit because I think we're touching on something, or we were, we were very near something that happens. In season two, that completely changes the text in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. So uh, after Persephone goes on trial, uh Zeus, who is the king of the gods in purple and still kind of a fuckboy, but not like as terrible as some other representations not like, of
0: Zeus. He's not like evil like Apollo, but he's like definitely a jerk and a misogynist.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah please yeah, yeah. ball. Yeah, he's not the best husband to Hera, but he he is not being set up as an uh, assaulter, a like, rapist, a rapist. <laughs> yeah, ass- assaulter is not the word I wanted. Uh, like like Apollo is, however, because of his own machinations and decisions, uh, he sentences Persephone to the being bound to the mortal realm to fix some things to make it pretty nice uh, as her punishment for her act of wrath. Not really. It's for other reasons. But, like, that's what other, he's touching it as. <laughs> other plot reasons we won't get into. Yeah. But
0: basically putting everyone in limbo and on mm-hmm. basically putting Persephone and Hades' relationship on ice because that means they then can't see each other because he right. forbids travel between Olympus and the underworld and the mortal realm.
1: Yes. So what that does for us narratively is that after we get a little bit of Persephone being bound to the mortal realm and being sad because she didn't get to tell Hades that she loved him even though he got to say it to her before they were ripped apart, and I read this again today and I cried about it a little bit again, (laughs) (laughs) we have a 10-year time skip. So, so Persephone is no longer a 19-year-old who is figuring out crossing boundaries. She's a 29-year-old woman who has a boundary that she desperately wants to cross, but is being forbidden by stupid Zeus.
0: Oh, yeah. She's like a grown-ass lady. Also, the fan reactions, I would like to say, to the 10-year time skip are hilarious. (laughs) It's so like one of the top – so all the all the top comments are all in all caps, but the one that is my favorite is, OMG, 10 years, Zeus, eat a rock, you bastard.
1: Wait, and who is who can we quote that to?
0: Asia, six, seven, one, three. All right. Excellent. <laughs> eat a but rock is like great. People are like very – I remember being like flabbergasted by the time skip and being like, yeah. this changes – everything. Yeah,
1: yeah, it really, really does. It changes a lot of things. So kind of to start from that, uh, because we are going to get to our ultimate question of this presentation, but one of the things that I've seen as a critique of Lore Olympus is the fact that there is this very large age gap between Persephone, who is nineteen, and Hades, who is two
0: thousand? Well, and and the problem is not <laughs> I'm sorry. just yeah. The problem is not just that it's an age gap; it's that it's an experience gap. Yes, and mm-hmm. that Persephone is still on this line between young adulthood and adulthood when she's nineteen. Right. That yes. when she's twenty nine, she's not on anymore.
1: Right, right. She's had a bevy of experiences but also now a chance to kind of grow into herself as a person separate from her relationship with Hades though of course and and separate by from it. her relationship with her mother because her mother her is mother. banished somewhere yes. else Yes yes you're absolutely right her mother is banished somewhere else and and stripped of her powers so she can't get back to Persephone so she really has a chance to kind of become a Full adult in a way mm-hmm. that changes her relationship to Hades, I think um, I kind of have a joke that I tell Corinne sometimes that when it comes to loving immortal deities, I need my my Human or younger protagonist to be at least 25 so that they'll have some life experience at yeah. if, if you want to love that nine thousand year old man at 26 okay all right fine at nineteen I'm a little like I don't know you're still a baby. Um, being a little facetious here. But for me, that completely kind of changed things What now that she's 29 because I know what it's like to be 29. I was making a lot of different kind of decisions for myself that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life at 29 that mm-hmm. at 19 were, let's just say more nebulous. We'll put it
0: that way. It, I'm your, not going to pour my whole life
1: out there. Your brain's not <laughs> done cooking when you're 19, but it is when you're no. 29. Right. When you're 29. One of the things that's interesting, and I think Corinne pointed to this early on in our presentation, but Smythe's art style has also been shifting throughout Mm -hmm. the story um, as she becomes more comfortable drawing her characters and things like that. And one of the things that I noticed is even though Hera early on says that Persephone stops maturing, she'll forever be 19 – Persephone at 29 does not look like a teenager to me. Mm-mm. She looks she looks more like Hestia, uh, who – Hestia is the goddess of the hearth, right? Yeah, the goddess of the home
0: and the hearth. Um yeah. But yeah, Persephone has always been kind of a – has been, always been a busty woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the very – especially at the very beginning, she is drawn very much in the style of like a 50s pinup sort of character. Yeah, very, and very she, narrow waist. Yeah. Yeah, and she does get more like – and More sort of plump and like a comfortable way as it goes on, but she doesn't look grown until after the time skip. Like yeah. she looks like an adult woman proportionally while while still obviously being a drawn character after right. the time skip.
1: Yeah. And it, it to me was a very noticeable kind of shift in her design that mm-hmm. I thought was interesting because it, it seemed like it was turning away from this idea that she was forever going to be – a teenager which mm-hmm. seems an important shift for this question of okay is laura olympus a YA text or i guess perhaps even better is laura olympus still a YA text after the time skip uh and i think you and i have slightly different feelings about this which is interesting
0: yeah so for me it's a YA text before the time skip and then afterward it's not.
1: <laughs> which which I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> how? How does that work? So, like, how? <laughs> how, is, <laughs> how is it, like, half YA and then half not YA? Because it's not even, like, it's it's in the middle of a season that this shift happens, right? Not even mm-hmm. at the end of a discrete block of the story. So how, how so I, can we wrap our brains around that or how do you wrap your brains around that?
0: So I think one of the things that is – that this is one of the ways in which its seriality and its sort of nebulousness as a text both work in its favor and make it more confusing. <laughs> mm-hmm, okay. Because the like where we draw the boundaries, like between seasons, between when Smythe like takes a break and goes on hiatus for a couple mm-hmm, months, mm-hmm. but where they draw the line in the print volumes of Persephone are all oh, somewhat uh-huh. arbitrary. So mm-hmm. to me, it makes just as much sense to draw a line here when we have this skip, which is where she went on hiatus for. I think from December to April. So for a number of months, that feels more like a break even than between season two and season three. So to me, it, it while it is not literally two different books, it feels like different books to me in the way that like the first book of Anne of Green Gables and then Anne of Avonlea and Anne of Green Gables as children's literature, Anne of Avonlea uh, and this is by uh, Ellen Montgomery is not, is not children's literature anymore, partially because Anne is then an adult. See, that's
1: so interesting. Okay, so my quick, very quick retort to that would be I guess that makes sense while, if you're reading it while it's coming out, but for anyone that goes back and reads Lore Olympus now, there is not going to be a hiatus, right? Because it was serial, but now it's just there. It's just static, right? Mm -hmm. And we have no idea where the print editions of Lore Olympus are going to split the text. We might, go across the time skip in one edition. Though I will say, I think the webtoon version of Laura Olympus is the superior way to read it. But also oh, yeah. I'll buy the books because I'm going to support her. <laughs> you know, so it's it's like that, that time space mattered to you in your reading of it. But anyone that picks up Laura Olympus after our presentation is not going to have to deal with that same break. It's going to just bleed from one episode to the other. And also... There's some back and forth in those episodes where we get kind of, I think, Persephone at 29 and then go back to Persephone at 19 to come forward again to Persephone at 29. So like Mm -hmm. she braids those things together in a way that makes them harder to pull apart from each other.
0: So I don't, you know? I don't disagree with you. And I could be persuaded, I think, that it could I, so here's the thing, though. It feels to me like the time jump happened so that Hades and Persephone can have, like a lot of spicy sex oh boy (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry but in a way that won't make readers feel icky you know in a way that there was still that sort of like nagging in the back of your head when she was 19 like the same thing happens in i'm sorry i'm gonna bring up bring up k dramas but the same thing happens in (laughs) in the k drama goblin also known as guardian the great and lonely god where where the main character is nineteen, and there is a time skip, and then she is twenty nine, and that's when they have sex with her, like a thousand year old goblin lover.
1: <laughs> it's fine. I'm just cracking up because you're like, I'm sorry, I bring up K dramas. Like, Anyone that listens to our show knew this was going to fucking happen. Like, own your truth. Own your truth.
0: To not have like the guilt. And, and it's not that teenagers and young adults can't or shouldn't have sex. I absolutely can and should. That's not my business. But like, <laughs> it's the age gap that makes it kind of icky.
1: And now it's not yeah. icky anymore. <laughs> right. And it's, it's, and I think you're right to say it's the age and the experience gap. Right. Yeah. I guess the thing that I'm struggling with is separating, separating the text, right? and and pulling the the 19 year old part of it apart from the 29 yeah. year old part of it that's kind of where my brain is getting a little a little stuck cuz it's not that i i disagree 100% cuz i think you're right i think things are going to be different let's say now that she's 29 cuz when she was 19 they kissed a couple times and they mm-hmm. snuggled but like it was chased there were some butterflies yeah. involved once, you know, mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> we're not going to talk about season three, but it feels a little less chaste, let's say. It,
0: it feels thematically and aesthetically like a different – a continuation of the same story, but a more adult story. Yeah. But also so- – it, it, I- I also see your argument. It's the same readers, it's the same text, it's on the same platform. You're not putting down a book and put it, and picking up a different one. So yeah. I do think this is one of those things that then challenges the boundary of yep. YA. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I, think I guess. Is the point. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's that's the whole reason why we're doing this. Um it's I think it's a really tough question. And honestly, I mean, this is kind of the fun of doing a conference presentation is that we would love to hear what you all think. Do mm-hmm. you think that Lore Olympus transforms halfway through? And I, I, if that sounded facetious, I don't mean it to be facetious because I think it's an interesting question, right? But do you feel like it's YA and then it's not? Is it all YA even though the protagonist is now not a YA, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I would say, I mean, people still call me young lady when I go out, but that's because nobody knows how old I am, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I feel like once you're 30, you're not technically a young adult anymore. You're just – You're just grown. <laughs> you're, just, you're just an adult, you know. So, yeah, I, I would love to hear from you all, our listeners. What do you – do you think, Laura Olympus – Transforms? Do you think it's YA all the way through? What are your thoughts? Corinne, did you have any other last kind of thoughts about Lore Olympus? I'm just watching the time and I'm like, "Mm, we're doing the thing that we do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, More, I think,
0: I would love to know what other people think more about how Lore Olympus can expand how we think about what YA can do and is and then Mm -hmm, what sort of mm -hmm. ways in which it pushes the boundaries of YA studies the central question of this conference.
1: <laughs> well, excellent. I think that is a great place for us to kind of begin to wrap up here. So, uh, in conclusion, you should read Lore Olympus and then you should talk to us <laughs> about it. <laughs> so, there
0: are several places you can find us. Some are the normal places like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sex
1: Love Lit. And there is one more fun place where you can find oh, us. Oh! oh. <laughs> We are actually going to be doing a what, a live talk as part mm-hmm. of the Yasa Q and A. a live Q&A. Oh, a live Q and A that makes it sound even more like official. Uh, yeah, but we're going to be doing a live Q and A as part of the Yasa programming, which is very exciting for us. We don't often do like live SLL events, so this is the first, and we're on pins and needles about it in a good way not in a bad way um so if you are registered for yasso please make sure to come hang out ask us questions talk to us about laura olympus or anything else that we might have tell brought us, up today like key dramas. tell us
0: how hot you think haiti Hades, Hades is please and also maybe aries
1: <laughs> or aries or there's one thing i want to mention before we cooled out completely I just okay. thought of a funny thing. Um, but yes, if you're not registered for YASA, then you should 100% register for YASA so you can come here as talk, but also hear all of the other wonderful presenters that are taking part in the conference. It's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. So actually, one last anecdote to close us out, because I thought this was hilarious, and I forgot to mention it before, but Artemis actually gets very up in her arms <laughs> When she realizes that no one else in the goddesses of eternal maidenhood are oh, actually virgins, this is a very important note. Just as, as a coda, the goddesses
0: of eternal maidenhood is not just a replication of purity culture; it is a sort of tongue-in-cheek commentary on it. Because Artemis is really the only virgin we got going on here, because Hestia and Athena are definitely sleeping together.
1: Oh, one hundred percent. They're like a couple.
0: They like yeah, live they're, together. They're a couple. Don't they? We we see it. On in the comic. Yeah, like they were they're in a in lesbian relationship. Also, like, Athena had, like, super queer vibes the whole time.
1: <laughs> and it was just very funny when artists figured out. She was like, am I the only one that's taking this seriously? And it was it was, very, And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, she was. Uh, and that's how we'll end our talk today. Oh, I snorted. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but thank you for
0: joining us.
1: We love it when you listen. So... Yeah, we do. We do. And uh, I guess we will see you all again soon. Bye. Bye.